podcast night. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, traveling in time, ingesting weird substances, channeling astrological powers, and rebuilding the dead. And that's just our pre-show prep. Your MSP crew talks the rebirth, walks the nerd walk, and takes a look at what happens when a superhero can't pay her debts with the Paybacks, Volume 1. Not to be confused with the Taybacks, family of beloved Mel the Cook from Alice. All this, plus our kick-butt pull of the week, and more stuff. So set them up, crack them on the head, knock them down, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 679 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for uh, checking us out. And thank you, everyone, for using the Amazon link over at uh, Majorspoilers.com. Every time you use that link, a little bit comes back our way. And man, the holiday weekend was upon us here in the United States. And so hopefully many of you clicked on that uh, Amazon link as we start a new month. Uh, Did everybody have a good uh, holiday weekend? Rodrigo, did you do anything fun and exciting? Uh, not really. Mostly just uh, work, but that's fine. I mean, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. And Ashley, what about you? Did you uh, go do anything fun and exciting? Uh, I went to Palm Springs and hey. we saw Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty, walking on the street. And that was about <laughs> as cool as Palm Springs could possibly get. And then we left because it was never going to get better than that. And then you saw the big uh, concrete dinosaurs. We did, um, which I have heard about but never seen before. And they're super... Weird, they're super right? crummy uh, and like mm-hmm. faded and falling mm-hmm. apart. And there's a gift, a gift shop inside the Brontosaurus, which is not a Brontosaurus anymore. It's an Apatosaurus because Brontosauruses aren't a thing. Um, so it was cool. I remember. <laughs> but here's the weird thing. I remember going to that place when I was a kid. So <laughs> and it was kind of crummy then, too. Right. It's like mm-hmm. that um, that Flintstones yeah, yeah. world that's on the way to the Grand Canyon. Like yeah. it's so worth the five dollars to get in because it's never been worth five dollars to get in <laughs> oh lots of fun uh go check that out on your instagram right heck yeah yeah what's your instagram at ashley v robinson because i like to make people's lives easier simple simple <laughs> simple and matthew what about you did you do Crazy. anything fun for the weekend i actually i think the brontosaurus is back now they say that it may exist it, yeah it's 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 a it's a um let's not get into it Hey, for more <laughs> hot right, dinosaur right. action, Matthew, listen to our yes. other podcast. That's not a dinosaur. <laughs> Rodrigo, but, but, but Matthew is that. correct. The the uh, the uh, brontosaurus may be back in play. That's right. Yeah, I spent the weekend in uh, Manhattan with a bunch of old friends in our semi quadra sesquicentennial hanging out thing. So I got to see. So it's like the first time you ever ever hung out together. Oh no, we do it all the time. Oh okay. Every every eight, seven, five years. Well, and the thing that's really great is now we're all gray-haired people with a bunch of preteens and teenagers. So 
that was fun trying to you know do fun stuff for the old people and having the 12 year olds not roll their eyes all day long that was <laughs> fascinating we did a quick trip out of town and uh, we went to a couple game stores up in the Kansas City area and finally picked up uh, Machikuru have you played that Rodrigo I have my girlfriend really likes it and we uh, have actually played it a lot and I lose every time really yay uh, yep, I, that's why she likes it we uh, yep, we had some time. We had some time before dinner, and uh, my oldest and I sat down, and we played three games, and we really loved it. And then after dinner, uh, as the youngest was trying to go to sleep, my wife joined us, and we played another four games that night. So it, is, yeah. it has quickly become uh, our favorite game here at the Major Spoilers I think, HQ. I think what's appealing about Machikoro is that it's essentially Monopoly that actually works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, because explicitly, Monopoly doesn't work. It's not meant to be a fun game. Uh, that's why people have so many weird house rules about it to like extend the game or like help people like get money back and stuff. But Monopoly is just kind of this like slow spiral down the drain for all players except one. <laughs> this is actually true. If you've ever played a game of Monopoly, if you were winning, you're on top, but it's very difficult to come back. And Machikoro actually has like things about it that allow people to kind of surge back and, you know, it makes the game tense until the end. It, it, we had so much fun with it that we went back to the gaming store and bought all the expansions oh, a couple nice. hours later. So, yeah, yeah. Ashley, have you played that game? I have no idea what that okay. is. It, it's apparently the hottest game in the United States right now, an import from Japan and being released from IDW Games. So uh, people might want to go check that out. Uh, let us get to some news. This week we have a short news list because it was a short uh, week, maybe, perhaps. Short uh, we news. have We have two items. We have Dwayne The Rock Johnson is now the man of bronze. He is and, not short. No. Uh, ah. And we also have uh, some DC Rebirth reaction. So let's spin that wheel. Actually, we let's just the flip the coin. Let's flip the coin of <laughs> destiny, and it lands on DC Rebirth reaction. So we did say we were going to talk about that uh, this week anyway, so it should come as no surprise that it's uh, our top story. Uh, DC Universe Rebirth launched last week, and it introduced, uh, returned a character to the DC Universe who's been out for a long time, and at the same time, introduced a concept that may involve Alan Moore's Watchmen from back in the day. So... Um, I'm guessing everyone had a chance to at least look at or read some of the reactions or do some stuff with DC Rebirth. Uh, let us start with Ashley. Ashley, what is your what's your reaction to the return of uh, Wally West? On the one hand, I really like your ginger-haired Wally West because he's a part of that new Teen Titans team that is so very near and dear to my heart. On the other hand, you made all this painstaking change to make a match up with your TV African-American version of the character who, despite his poor introduction uh, by getting arrested in his first appearance, um, you know, is, has kind of set his own tone for what the DC universe is. So I'm personally happy, but I think it's kind of weird and dumb, if I'm going to be completely honest. Oh, the return of Wally West? Because now yeah. there's two Wally Wests running around. There are. And, and they are related. They're, they're trying cousins. to... They're trying to service two masters, I think. And I think one of them, like they're trying to keep the, the one foot in the new 52 and the one foot in mm -hmm. the in the pre-new, the post-crisis pre-new 52. And mm -hmm. I just think that w making Wally West the, the the poster child for that is strange. But then when you think that, you know, Jeff Johns is an influential person at DC, it seems a little less strange. But I don't know. I, I have very mixed feelings about it. It's it really you? weird how like um, it used to be that we'd be like, Two Flashes, like two guys actually named Flash. That's confusing, but we can kind of tell them apart. And now there are just like 
if they've just like split even lower into yeah. that and it's like now there are two Wally Wests like two guys with the exact same name as their secret identity like eventually they're going to be like just four guys that all look exactly the same and they're all <laughs> named Wally West and well, it's like you, just you can't tell who anybody is I, I think it's interesting because um, when they when they came back from from uh, Rebirth or when they um a flashpoint and we had the new 52 everyone was like where's Wally where's Wally when are you bringing Wally back and ever since ever since that happened in what 2012 or whatever Matthew uh 2011 uh, uh, Dan was like eh, just wait we're holding him you'll see he you know Dan Didio was never like oh he's never coming back or you know giving a nudge a week he's like don't worry we've got something big planned for him and then as we learn about Rebirth, it's like Jeff John tells it uh, where Jim Lee and Dan DiDio come shuffling in with their aw shucks attitude into his office one day. And they're like, well, we're thinking of of uh, doing a, a, a thing with with the new 52 and, <laughs> and kind of ditching it out. And it's like, oh, suddenly Wally West is back. It's almost like how much, you know, since the start of Rebirth, had it always been the plan to end it in 52 issues? Yeah. And it just seems like now that Wally's back in play, it almost seems that way. It seems that way. And I think that they want us to think that that's the case. But No, I think if, they want us to think it's not the case. If you look at a larger picture, I think that Rebirth is extremely successful in fixing things that they intentionally broke over the last five or ten years. And that's the thing about it. That's the thing that's really interesting about Rebirth because Ashley said it best. It's not just Wally that's trying to serve two masters. This book shows us both Adams. This book shows us both Blue Beetles. This book shows us a world where the Justice Society existed, where the Teen Titans existed. But the short-term expectations of these heroes and their short five-year history, whatever they say it is, is still somehow intact. It's something where they are literally saying the things that we wanted to do in the new 52 are still here. But there are also things that you guys are saying we wanted to do or that we've decided we wanted to do that we're also going to do. And also we've killed the, the young, hip, snarky Superman and we're bringing back the married with children Superman. And I'm like, yay, good, grownups, happy. Oh, but man, I love him so much. I do too. You love More bearded Superman. Uh, bearded Superman is the sexiest of all potential Superman. <laughs> obviously, uh -oh. yeah, he's, he's dad bod Superman, and he's <laughs> no, he's not dad bod. Good. But more importantly, what this book really does is evoke what we've seen in the past in terms of universal crises. There's references in here to Crisis on Infinite Earths, to Flashpoint, even references going back to Zero Hour and Legends that are intentionally designed to say, okay, maybe all of it did happen again. It's, it's that thing that we've discussed where DC explicitly, textually tells you the things that did happen and says, this is how things have changed now, or things are changing, or things are going to change, whereas it might have been different if they had folded it more into a story. Now, again, I'm not complaining. I really like the issue. I like some of the ideas they're bringing back. Yeah, I really like the issue, too. I really got a kick out of everything that was going on there. I think there's a lot of potential to um, tell some good stories now that we have, you know, two Adams back. Ryan Choi, I'm super excited to see back. I'm excited to see both Blue Beetles back. But there's a part of me, and I know, Matthew, you and I talked a little bit about this, I think, um, in between shows last week where it still feels like a lot of this issue feels like it's an apology 
Do you guys get that, Rodrigo? Do you guys get that it's, it feels like an apology or not? Uh, I don't know. I didn't actually. I, I haven't actually read it. Oh, okay. um, but um, it. I think if you look at the press releases, um, it kind of comes across like uh, so many so many things we see, like D and D and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, we hear you fans that are disgruntled about this, so. You know, not actually saying sorry, but sorry about that. Here's what you actually liked. Hey, guys that actually like what was going on, we still got you. Don't let these other guys get you down. So it, it is kind of like this, like, um, trying to smooth everything out, bring everybody back into the fold for, you know, I'm guessing five or six issues before people start, compl- like, really complaining again Yeah. <laughs> about about how some theme that they like is getting taken out because you can't cannot please everyone. Yeah. Ashley, do you did you get any kind of an apology vibe out of this? Um, yes and no. I mean, yes because they explicitly told me it was there, but no because yeah. I I don't care to be to be right, frank. Right. Um to me it feels less of an apology and more of a well, this is the way we're doing things now because I feel like the idea of the Watchmen is super mm-hmm. wedged in and super unnecessary and super lame. So while they're doing this sort of back apologizing with the back of the hand, they're still slapping you upside of the head with the Watchmen on the front of the hand. And you're like, I guess this is how the world works now. Yeah. And that's, but, the, that's but, the weirdest, craziest part about the reveal in this is that somehow Dr. Manhattan, when he went to Mars and decided to create his own universe and life and everything, created the DC universe and has been manipulating things behind the scenes to the point when flashback happened, he went in and took away years out of people's lives, moved things around, made people forget. And so uh, even Batman digging through his cave finds the comedian's um, a pin, which implies that maybe that he's one of the jokers in the, in this new DC universe. So the Watchmen suddenly become, I don't want to say the villains, but they kind of become this thing that they may have to battle against uh, in two years. And that seems rather, I don't know, interesting, weird, horrible. I don't know. what What's the what's the answer there, Matthew? It feels like that may be part of what you described as the apology. Because really, when we look at the year 1986, it had two things going for it in terms of comics. It had Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. DC has embraced The Dark Knight Returns as the most perfect comic that ever did live, and they kiss it and love it, and they make movies out of it. But if you look at what both Dark Knight and Watchmen did, they're both very deconstructive and in in many ways destructive stories. I think that if you were going to bring Watchmen into any incarnation of the living DC universe, first of all, you have to throw out the main theme of Watchmen, which is failure, but that's okay. DC, Marvel, all the big companies throw out the main themes and come up Mm -hmm, with new mm -hmm. ones all the time. But I think that really the only way to bring characters like Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias and even Night Owl into this universe is adversarially. I mean, well, I mean, there's kind of this weird irony, right, where uh, at one point DC took over the uh, the Charlton characters and mm-hmm. kind of and kind of crapped all over them and switched them around and made made the watch uh, made those characters into the DC image, and now it's almost like those characters are having their re- revenge because now they're manipulating the DC universe to make them into their image. It, it seems like a, it seems like kind of an irony there. Yeah, Jet the beginning Cord is the end is the beginning. Character. Yeah, yeah. 
Ted Kord is a Watchmen character. They didn't. Well, I guess they did. But yeah, it, it's definitely something that could be taken. And really, if you look at it metatextually, as we're likely to, and I think a lot of people are going to, having the Watchmen come in as sort of the 15 minutes into the future of comics, they've been 15 minutes into the future for the last 30 years. Yeah. Now they're, we are actually at the point where the 15 minutes into the future world of Watchmen feels kind of quaint and retro. So when they bring them in, you can't necessarily do it the way they had been doing it. So I think that having them be maybe villains, maybe antagonists, maybe, I don't know, like Grant Morrison loves to introduce a big bad who turns out to not be bad at all, like Nick Yotan, the Watcher. Mm-hmm. I think that it, it, here's the thing. I, as a reader of comic books, accept that I do not have any control over what DC is going to do. So if you say to me, I'm putting the Watchmen in your DC universe, this is one of the ways that could be at least palatable. Because as Ashley said, there's a lot of ways that this could be lame, that this could be <laughs> unworkable. Oh, you know, you know, there's the a hand. lot of ways that this could be the next thing. Oh, the hand at the beginning of creation that you're not supposed to be looking at. That's Dr. Manhattan's hand now. I'm telling you right now. Well, it's been blue for yep. a lot of iterations, it's so it, it makes sense. Ashley, what Here's, are your thoughts? To, oh, go ahead, Rodrigo. Uh, what I want to know, what I'm really interested in with this whole thing is if it counts. If it counts uh, in a court of law, um, because uh, as... Uh, and I think I have this right. Basically, DC Comics keeps wa- the the Watchmen book in print so that the rights won't revert to the creators, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So does having characters from that IP in other books, say the before Watchmen stuff or this, does that count? Oh, I'm sure it does. It's it's yes. the it's those IP, it's those uh, so, characters and creations. Really, this is this is what's really genius about it is that you know it's like before Watchmen stuff was met with um, you know kind of varied degrees of of praise mm-hmm. um, and and fury. Yeah. Uh, so this is possibly uh, from a meta standpoint, from a real world business standpoint, one of the smartest moves DC has taken in yeah. a long time to basically introduce these characters into their other IPs and thus uh, essentially keep uh, the rights to the Sinister Six. I might be crossing my metaphors there, but you know what I mean. Right. Well, I mean, they've been doing this a, lo- a lot recently, especially with the Superman stuff. Um, because of the way that it's been in and out of courts over the years. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it may not be wrong, but, um, yeah, uh, you're always accusing me of wearing the tinfoil hat. It's time for you to put it on. Hey, I learned from the best. Yes, there you go. That's true. We all, we all absorb these, these theories. <laughs> Ash, Ashley, I know, because we're not reactions? wearing the hats. What are your reactions to this whole Watchmen reveal? Um, if I'm going to be completely honest, I hate it. Really? I mean, be completely honest. I mean, that's why people listen to us is because we are honest about our feelings. Um, And I don't I don't mean to say that it is a bad decision. I don't mean to say that there's anything wrong with it, but I don't like Watchmen. I appreciate it as something that happened and that is necessary and that it changed the face of comics and made comics into like what I love about the medium. But I hate Watchmen. <laughs> so the fact that they're going to be back in a big, bad way and they're going to be crossing over with the characters that I feel particularly devoted to is, for me, a pretty big negative. Yeah. 
It will. So. It, it may be interesting. <laughs> I mean, it really may be interesting when these characters from their respective properties meet, because if Owlman and Blue Beetle meet, it's going to be really weird and really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I mean, if we look at the character that we see in here, Mr. Oz, yeah. who is highly implied to be Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias, there's been a lot of change there. And we don't actually see Dr. Well, Manhattan, I meant, but there I are... Met, I meant uh, metatextually, it's going to be weird. Well, mm. yeah, but we just there's established gonna be a lot of, that There's going to be a lot of off-panel. There's going to be a lot of off-panel with the collars pulling out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, thing that, <laughs> the thing that really, I guess, upsets me the most, is particularly about The Watchmen, is we were promised, and it says right there in the in the opening page of of this uh, DC Rebirth. If you haven't read Superman fifty two or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. um, what was the other book, uh, the Justice League number fifty, number fifty, go and read this. And what I was most excited about with Justice League number fifty because they told us to our faces at that big uh, uh, press conference that they had back in in Easter that uh, we were going to find out the name of the Joker. That was all going to be revealed in Justice League number 50. And I was like, okay, bring it on. I'm all set to pick up this book. And then the reveal is, no, we're not going to tell you the name of the Joker. Yeah, all you all you get we, is, a, is like a blue guy's head in a box that goes, no. Joker who? <laughs> no, what Joker we find out, who? what we find out is that there are three Jokers running around the DC universe. Did they say name or did they say identity? Hmm. I'd have to go back and look. I'm pretty sure they said the name of the Joker would be revealed. Well, and that's another example of a plot point that right now is fresh and new and could be stupid. But we would also have said that when somebody said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take that. You remember when Batman had a kid with Talia al Ghul? We're going to bring him into the DC universe. Ooh, that's a horrible like idea. Boo. Some of Boo. us like this. Boo. What a horrible character. Right. She never got rid of Tim Drake. Let's say it's 1956, (laughs) and we hear that Julie Schwartz is bringing back the Flash, but they're not going to do the Flash that we know, Jay Garrick with his cool hat and his uh, undershirt. Jay Garrick is the worst. I mean, he's the best. God damn it. Will you listen to me? (laughs) Believe it or not, I think he's trying to help. No, no. I know where he's going. He's not trying to help. He doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, you're going, hey, remember when they were going to introduce the Silver Age Flash and everyone was upset because it wasn't Jay Garrick and then suddenly everyone realized that Barry was okay. kind of cool. I don't know if anyone was upset there wasn't Yeah, who knows? Media. There was no internet. There was no internet. How can you even tell if someone was there, upset? There were a bunch of 10-year-olds sitting around the newsstand going, oh, man, I sure miss Jay Garrick. Yeah, yeah I, like, I like older guys. No, they wouldn't because <laughs> they would have been five years old when the Flash disappeared. But here's the thing. I have it on good authority, and that authority's name is Roy Thomas, that there were people upset that the Flash came back until the Flash came back. And when we look at concepts like, oh, now there's two Wally West and it's going to be really weird, it can be difficult. But remember when we first read those issues where all of a sudden, wait, Wally is powered by this extra-dimensional thing, this speed force. This could be terrible stupid. You know, there are concepts that really always sound stupid and dumb. Right. This whole thing with Captain America uh, sounds really man stupid and dumb. Yes. Man dresses oh. up as a bat. Sounds stupid and dumb. But when you put a lot of the things that happen with Flash, the speed force, the introduction of Max Mercury, bringing back all the speedsters and you give them in the hands of a good creator like Mark Wade, suddenly it's magic. And that's what I'm kind of hoping comes out of DC Rebirth is that things get in the right hands and we see nothing but magic. By I'm, the ex- way, I'm excited about this, but I know that there's going to be stumbles. I know there are going to be pieces that are not going to be fantastic. 
Rodrigo, what are you going to say? That is that is the real danger for these like huge company wide events, right? It's like you're like, okay, we're launching the Beatles Squad, and we're ha- launching, you know, Beardy Superman, and we're launching seventeen Flashes named Wally West. And it's like, as it turns out, maybe one of those is actually going to be a real gem, right? You know, but then at the end of that run, when people are like, I don't know about this post rebirth universe anymore everything gets like crunched again and relaunched but people are like but but batwoman was actually pretty good why yeah. are you changing it you know like that that sort of thing and that will that will maybe a bad example because i think batwoman was like the one book that didn't change over the new 52 no but i mean the 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 bad thing about all this is that there will be some real gems that come out of this but unfortunately because of the way sales will happen those books will end up being canceled at some point yep and and that's really a shame. And that's um, the thing. Like with this, everything kind of like well, sinks or swims together mm-hmm. is really kind of the issue here. What I what I what I like about the DC rebirth it, is that it's got a lot of people excited again about DC comics. There were a number of people that posted over the major spoilers website and on on Twitter to me that said, Hey, New 52 took me out of DC Comics. Rebirth has brought me back. I cannot wait to see what they're doing. I'm excited again. There's something joyous and happy about it. And in fact, one of the uh, Rebirth promo images that DC sent out just like the day before uh, the uh, the midnight launch was all of the heroes jumping out at you like we always see in these giant splashes. And all of them have happy faces on them. You know, they're not mm-hmm. there. You don't have Superman crying in front of a crumbled Statue of Liberty. You don't have these uh, dour, sad, apocalyptic uh, feels in these big uh, spreads. Instead, this is a nice, happy, smiley heroes. And I'm hoping that some of that is brought back. Some of the lightheartedness, some of the fun is brought mm-hmm. back into the comics. And maybe, Ashley, maybe that's probably the best thing to happen is if you can bring back some joy and happiness and get more readers on board, that makes this a success. Uh, not for Batman, but maybe. <laughs> Batman needs know. a little Batman's- smile in his life. Batman, you know what? Smiling, happy Batman was a big deal for 15, 20 years. And a lot of the stories with smiling, happy Batman are the things that shaped the Batman that we know today. Running through the streets of Gotham City with his little badge and all the police going, Batman sure is awesome and we love him. I'm just saying. Oh, sure. All right. Any other thoughts, reactions on DC's rebirth? I will tell you this. The year was 1987. And they relaunched Superman, and they redid Wonder Woman's origin, and they gave us a new Justice League. They changed Green Lantern. They changed everything. They wiped out Ambush Bug, which is still a tragedy. And all of that stuff was treated really, really with kid gloves, and people were afraid of it for a while. And people are still hateful about some of it, but 30 years later, a lot of it is considered... Important in some cases, people will tell you it's the only true version of the characters that we know. When 30 years ago they did the Crisis on Infinite Earths and I bought these comics off the stands, everybody was like, ooh, is this going to work? The letters column was full of, will this work? What are you doing? You're rebeating Superman. We're mad that you did this stuff. And now it's just kind of the way Superman has always been. So I think that we won't know whether this success is successful for at least another couple, three years. And I think that the real danger is just writing it off based on the fact that having the Watchmen characters in it sounds like a bad idea. But honestly, a man wearing red trunks who leaps through the air and beats people up seems like a bad idea as well. Yes. Hail Hydra. 
Um, Stop that. Here's here's one thing that I th- I think something that you said was kind of struck me is, um, Ashley, who's your favorite Doctor Who? Eleven. And was he the first one that you encountered? Yes. And Matthew? Five. And Rodrigo? Uh, the ten and one. Nine? Yeah. Ten. 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 And it strikes me as you made that comment, Matthew, is that I wonder if when you stepped into comics, when someone first encounters Robin, in the case of Ashley, or the Watchmen, or, um, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earth, that becomes your thing and I'm, I'm probably right on on this to a point but we have a vocal group of people who are older now my age matthew's age that have been around since crisis on infinite earths and so th- we are the ones that are really super vocal about all these changes and when i see some younger readers and i'm not talking about kids my uh, age of my kids Mm-hmm. Um, but I, when I see some younger readers, yeah, they're okay. With, I mean, they're upset that maybe Batgirl is is moving away from um, the the great Batgirl stories that were being told. But I don't see the outrage coming from that, and they seem to be a little bit more okay with change in that in that instance. And I'm wondering if if part of it is the character that you uh, that you encounter the first time is your favorite version of that character for all time, and even though change may happen. You still have that fondness for a Barry Allen or a Wally West or a Tim Drake um, than anything else. I think it's two different things. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. Um, the, that that first iteration, or maybe close to that first iteration, because technically, like for example, I encountered the Eccleston Doctor first, um, but I like the Tenant Doctor a little bit better. It still kind of holds up because Eccleston was only there for a season. But anyway. Um, you know, there is that, you know, that, that first introduction to it, you just kind of, uh, that becomes your, that, yeah, that becomes your foundation for everything. And mm-hmm. you can, you just always go back and compare it. And that's reasonable. I, I think older readers react with vitriol to these things because they're tired of it mm. because they, there's, they're tired of a big events. They're tired of, um, having to keep track of what's still around and what isn't. And because they don't, you know, now they've gone through what five different versions of the DC universe. So DC universe has re- rebooted or soft booted or relaunched every five years since 1986. Yeah. So pretty much without fail. So I, I think there's a tiredness there that new readers don't have. And it's entirely possible that new readers will never have it because this is the shape of the universe now. True. This is how the world works. Back in nineteen eight back in the nineteen eighties, it wasn't. You know, to older readers, this is still something that comics are going through now. Yeah. Right? But it didn't used to be the case. It's kind of weirdly like the internet it's like you know older people much older obviously than than people who were you know and and kids in the 80s um older people are still like is this internet thing ever gonna go away and it's like well no and they have like that that problem kind of interacting with it at a fundamental level because they remember the world without the internet um and they were already adults before the internet came around you know um and it's kind of the same thing is like some of us were already adults when the first giant company-wide nonsense world-altering crossover happened. 
and is like they're like weirdly tired of it just happening every five years. And Ashley, you're a young younger reader. Sure, is that you? You buy into that? Um. I, I guess to is a it, certain Is it just extent, a case of you old guys need to get over it and we young kids are I mean, hip and go with the flow? No, because I hate I hate events more than anything. <laughs> and I hate the current Robin um, almost more than any other Robin. Yeah. Except maybe I'm that right girl from you. who was there for two weeks. Um, I like Stephanie. I yeah, hate Stephanie Brown. Uh, there, I have much vitriol for the Waste of Space character that is Stephanie Brown. Um, oh, oh, snap. Oh, snap. <laughs> Got real mean. Um, well, I now I can't I get you that Stephanie Brown action figure for your birthday. There Dang are it. no Stephanie Brown action figures. <laughs> there are three Stephanie Brown action figures. Yeah, there's no but Stephanie But only one of them is her as Robin. Uh, the other ones and are there's, spoiler. There's probably like 15 left in the world. Um, I don't know. I think Poor it's... So dark. <laughs> uh, I think it's maybe the thing too of how long, maybe not necessarily how old you are, but how long you've been reading comics. Because mm, I mm-hmm. think that people who are newer to the medium and don't understand event fatigue yet or have not had the chance to experience it, um, maybe deal with it in a more generous way. Um, but I know everyone's given DC all this flack because Rebirth's happening right now. But Marvel has a Hickman-esque we're usually Hickman driven, really confusing event every six months, like clockwork. And mm-hmm. I find that the most exhausting thing mm-hmm. about comics. Well, and, mm-hmm. and that's the thing is that the, the, I, I think the, the thing that the, the reason why people come down on DC so hard is because DC puts that stuff up front. Yes. They're like, we're going to change stuff with this event. Marvel is always changing stuff about their universe, always rewriting timelines here and moving stuff around and shoveling things. And the events don't necessarily always correlate to that. But Marvel is doing it all the time. They're just a lot more slick about it, or at least they're kind of trying to well, they conceal don't, it. They don't call attention to it. Right, yeah. right. All right, listeners, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Share your thoughts on a Rebirth and everything that uh, is going on, what you love and hate about comics. That's why the website is there, and we want you to use it. Uh, and you can find out all sorts of other stories at Majorspoilers.com. Why don't we jump into some reviews? Uh, last week, who is this? IDW Publishing released Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas Number 1. Uh, this is adapted by Troy Little with art by Troy Little. And it, I mean... I read excerpts from uh, the book and the magazine articles when they originally came out. Uh, I uh, uh, have seen the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie. Uh, if you're familiar with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, this book will not surprise you very much. This is very much like it's not a word for word lift like uh, Boom Studios did a few years ago with um, um, do Android's, Do Android's yeah, yeah. Dream of Electric Sheep. It's not quite that, but it is very close. But it's interesting how uh, Troy Little takes the uh, the narration part and then when characters need to speak, have them speaking in in the word balloon. So I like that a lot. Um, but other than that, there's nothing really there's no new take on the material except in the art, in the way it's done. And Troy Little's art is fantastic. And I love every panel that he draws. And really, when you're talking about lizard men chewing on ladies' necks or uh, bats flying out of, of space uh, coming to get you as you drive down the road to uh, Las Vegas, I think it works great in comic book form. And I think this is worth checking out. Um, I'm disappointed that this is a black and white book. Uh, it is a very long book, and it is a little bit uh, more expensive. I think this was like 48 pages uh, for what it was, which is great. Um, but if you've already familiar with the source material, I don't think you're going to get anything new out of this. 
Like I said, the art is fantastic, and I'm giving Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas number one three and a half slices of meatloaf. So go check that out. Uh, Ashley, let's jump to you and a trade paperback of Zodiac Star Force. I know we have read a or reviewed one of these issues or a couple of these issues on the uh, Major Spoilers website, but uh, you have had a chance to look at, what is it, five issues altogether? It is uh, four it is issues, four issues okay. altogether. So Zodiac Star Force by the Power of Astra is their first trade paperback, volume one, uh, written by the fantastic Kevin Panetta with art by the all equally fantastic Paulina Gana Chow. Uh, the cool thing about Zodiac Star Force is that if you like Sailor Moon, you will like it. It is yeah. a group of magical girls and they're in um, I think they're in their first year of high school or middle school. I don't know. It's different in America than it is where I come from. And in the opening issue, you see them having to battle a giant kind of space monster thing. And you get the impression that the team has been together for some time, but they were on hiatus and they weren't quite sure that it actually happened and that they actually channeled their respective zodiac signs uh, and followed the orders of Astra, very aptly named, uh, to do to do good and to balance out the universe and the cosmos. But they prove by destroying a good portion of their school with the Kermit the Frog poster on the wall that in fact all of it did happen. And a lot of it focuses around um, Emma. She is their team leader and she becomes infected with a scary space virus and they have to save her and maybe uncover equal Zodiac people Along the way, uh, the thing that I especially like about Zodiac Star Force that I think something like uh, Sailor Moon uh, perhaps lacks, and that's just the difference in, uh, you know, the parts of the world they were created and the time period in which they were creative is that Zodiac Star Force really gives the characters a chance to focus on their personal, I'm going to say growth because issues is the wrong word, but you know, it's 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 teen angsty. Mm -hmm. um, and then it uses the more fantastical elements to to highlight and punctuate that and to do kind of a meta textual thing where when they find strength in their personal life, they can find strength in their Zodiac Star Force lives, uh, which is neat. It encompasses uh, LGBT rights and characters, and it deals a lot with uh, whether or not girls are you know, worthy enough to stand up against each other, which when pitting them against a female villain sometimes does feel a little strange because it's like, we're going to build each other up to tear this one <laughs> lady down. Yeah. Um, it's a ton of fun. It looks really beautiful. Um, but I don't like how trade paperbacks are getting smaller and smaller. Like Marvel oh, did yeah, the yeah. thing where it was only five issues and now Dark Horse mm -hmm. is doing the thing where it's only four issues. Um, well, so, in fact, even the paybacks that we're reviewing later is only four issues long. Yeah, so you're like, you're not even getting a full arc. So it it does end in a very weird place. I really wish it was at least five issues long because I have, I have read the fifth issue past this. And that's kind of what is too bad about it because uh, like any first issue, there's a lot of setup here, but it is so beautifully rendered and it is so well paced as far as the parallels and the dichotomy between the two aspects of uh, the team's lives that when you don't get that payoff at the end, you're kind of like, oh, 
do I want to go spend 10 bucks to buy the next mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. But I assure you that you do. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of magical girl stuff that's coming out right now. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it actually from Boom. So I think it's really interesting that this one's from Dark Horse. Um, in my opinion, this is the best one to be picking up if you uh, happen to like that kind of stuff. And when you see your respective, I think Twitter calls them Star Sona, uh, the person who represents your Zodiac uh, sign, whether or not you are the kind of person who puts a lot of stock in that, it's definitely very cool. It's that childlike thrill of like, oh, that's me. That's me. I would totally be like that. Or no, I wouldn't because I don't necessarily agree with what um, my respective Aries gets up to sometimes. But she's <laughs> she has very pretty hair, so I'll let it pass. <laughs> Uh, so overall, I'm going to give it four out of five slices of meatloaf because it is, for me, a little too short. So it's so good I want more, so it's not really a knock, Awesome. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good series. I remember, I think I just had the chance to read the first two issues mm-hmm. of it. But yeah, really good. Uh, Matthew, let us jump over to you and a book that's coming out this week, Charge Number One. Charge Number One or Chapter One, I'm not entirely sure. Written by Chris Jury and Dan Jury, art by Adia Zolkeman and Pam Siega. This is an interesting book. This is kind of a strange book for me in that I have never just sat down with a comic book and had such a huge flashback to my own past. Um, In the 1990s, um, my friend Tom Boaz and I used to write comic book stories, they never got printed. Because uh, neither of us could really draw, but this is very much a story, or very much like a story that we might have put together. And it starts in the year 1975 in a strange Antarctic stronghold with an electronic type device that's doing strange things as the project is being shut down by the money people because it's not making any money. Art from the very beginning of this is. I don't want to say strange. I don't want to say off, but it feels kind of like early chapters of a web comic that are slowly growing into themselves. And you can kind of see page over page improvement in terms of facial expressions and, and layouts. The storytelling is good. The technology is good. Most importantly, the backgrounds and the, the architecture are good. But all told, as this story goes, you can actually watch from page to page improvement in figure work and facial expressions. So I can't really fault them too much there. But as the story goes on, it becomes clear that there's more than just some strange sort of thing going on. We cut forward to the year 2017 where somebody blows up a building. Why? Well, I don't know. But then we're back in 1975. And something incredibly strange happens, and a bunch of people just sort of appear in the middle of a test of the device. People who look kind of like Stargate SG-1. And we're not sure what any of this means. And then, as the issue progresses, it becomes clear that they're not from here. We're not sure where they're from. And as the issue ends, remember that story that couple of pages that flip forth to the year 2017 we see that same sequence again with a different ending and it becomes clear that the Dentsu device is some sort of time travel device so 
What does that mean? I got no idea. I will say this. It's a really energetic story, and it's a story that while I don't really get dragged into any of the characters, because honestly, in some cases, it's hard to tell who is who. Even the context clues aren't always 100% solid as to who is on screen. It's got a really interesting plot, and the plot moves along pretty quickly. And as I said, the art evolves throughout the 50-odd pages of the story to the point where I feel like three, four issues down the line, this could be a really solid story. As it stands, charge number one is intriguing. It has some flaws. It has some foibles. Two and a half slices of meatloaf, still an above average effort and something that I'm interested in checking in again. Maybe a few issues down the line when I can get, you know, a chunk of it or, or a trade paperback worth of it or maybe, you know, the webcomic thing, several weeks worth of the book. But all in all, it's, it's interesting and it's got, it's got things that I want to know more about. Cool. All right. Thank you, Matthew. And Rodrigo, you've got another book. Uh, you were reviewing a book that's coming out this week as well. Bolts number one. Yeah. Um, I think this is Action Lab Entertainment. Yeah. And this is actually their Danger Zone. Oh, yeah. This is the stuff that's maybe a little bit more intense, not as kid-friendly. Oftentimes with nudity and ultraviolence in it. Lana. That's that's right. Lana. Um, So, uh... That's exact. Shut up. Anyway. (laughs) um, (laughs) So, uh... Yeah, and, and, you know, Action Lab separates that into Danger Zone for any reason that it's not for kids. So this, uh, not a lot of sexy, sexy, but a lot of uh, gory, gory. Uh, so Bolts is the story of a time-traveling Frankenstein who uh, has to uh, apparently go up against some sort of a cosmic evil that can summon scary monsters. Um, the it, when you open this book, the first thing that will hit you is how distinctive the art style is. It is. Uh, it looks like uh, somebody just like straight up did it in pen, um, and then colored it with a like red sharpie. Uh, I mean, it it looks good. I'm not. Uh, that is not a. Uh, a comment on the quality of it, but on kind of this uh, ongoing effect. The only two colors are basically, or maybe the only three colors rather, are black, gray, and red. Um, so things that get emphasized, obviously, anytime somebody bleeds, there's a lot of red on the page. Um, at the end of it, there's this like enormous monster that shows up, and it's like this weird red toothy mass. Uh, it looks it looks really cool. Uh, the character is interesting. The premise is is interesting, and it, it's kind of like it's it, it the time traveling is interesting. It's kind of got like a samurai Jack kind of thing mm-hmm. going on. It's mm-hmm. got like a little bit of like a dark tower thing. If uh, the the gunslinger was was a Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's funny that. Uh, I keep, you know, referring to it as such, but it's like, that's, that's like a specific kind of reference. Like it is kind of like, I mean, it is kind of like Frankenstein meets, uh, your like maybe dark tower type situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, on the side of things that could be better, 
Um, there's just basically one overarching concept that is an issue with this book, and that's clarity. Um, I at the beginning of the book, uh, this guy gets like torn apart, and then he's put back together by this cosmic power. And I was like, okay, well, he's a Frankenstein now that he's been put back together by this cosmic power. But going back and looking at the first few pages is like he was already a Frankenstein, and that's maybe why he got torn up. Um, the same thing that gives the book its like crazy distinctive feel sometimes makes it very difficult to tell what exactly is happening in a page. Um, it's also, it's also got some like non-conventional paneling at times. Um, and you have to get through the entire page before you go, Oh, I read that backwards. And then you have to kind of start over and go and like, uh, clockwise mm, thing yeah, from yeah. the bottom which is pretty weird but yeah. you know okay overall and and that's the other thing so the the solicitation for this um during a brutal attack by townspeople in his own time frank is torn apart and loses memory only to have his mangled body piece back together and thrown into a new strange dimension where he crosses paths with casey a scavenger with a penchant for trouble uh, now the two must face merciless monsters and perilous roads, while Frank fights his own battle to become a righteous hero or a spiteful villain. Bolts is Frankenstein's monster like you've never seen him before from Rising Star and James Wynott, including Rain Corbett, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of this stuff, I like a lot of this stuff, how I introduced it, I got from this solicitation because it was very difficult to tell from the book. Um the whole Frankenstein thing only comes across because this guy's stitched together. Um, at the beginning, I'm like, oh, those are like villagers. The time travel thing is difficult to get at first because somebody in the first few pages says totes. Like, oh, yeah, that looks... Like totes it's like, Yeah, yeah. It's like, is it dead? And then somebody goes totes. Um... I'm like, okay, so they're going to use language to do it. But later on, like, so he gets sent through time and somebody says, like, literally says uh, to, to stop dicking around. And I'm like, that seems like the same kind of like general modernish language kind of thing, right? Like, it's not, it, it's not, a, you know, nobody's using these and those or partners or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. to, to let you know that it's a distinctly different linguistic era. There's just kind of, uh, this book is at its best and worst kind of an indecipherable mess mm. um but it has a lot of like it has so much personality that you kind of get through it the character design is great uh the monsters are interesting um it's kind of a, a weird western in, in in and of it like the actual weird western genre it's pretty interesting uh all together i will give it three and a half slices of meatloaf it's solid it's above average um but you have to go into it being like okay i i'm gonna have to like really pay attention here because there's like a lot of thatching going on in every page okay cool all right rodrigo thank you for sharing that as uh, well as thank you to matthew and ashley for sharing their reviews listeners you can head over to majorspoilers.com and check out all sorts of reviews over there you can even find the major spoilers poll of the week Week, 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 week. This week, the question is simple. Who would you trust to shoot an apple off your head? Would it be Green Arrow or Hawkeye? Matthew, who would you pick? See, that's a tough one because I've always felt like 
they're both who jerks. would win in an archery match is basically what the question is. They're Marvel really or DC? Both jerks. I think that over the time that I have been reading them, it has gone from one extreme to the other, albeit in the 60s, Hawkeye was really good, but Green Arrow was infallible. Now it feels like Green Arrow is really good and Hawkeye is infallible. If I were to break it down, I would probably flip a coin, which is to say whose pain in the neck, constant loudmouth riffing would be least annoying as they shot me either in the face or an arrow off my head. And at that point, I have to go with Hawkeye because Green Arrow is a little reactionary sometimes. Mm, like, oh my gosh, there's an arrow on that man's head. I'm going to shoot it off. Ashley, who would you trust? I would trust Green Arrow because there's a 50-50 chance that Hawkeye is going to not have enough sleep or maybe be drunk. And then there's that icky universe where he's played by Jeremy Renner. And I don't want to mm -hmm. trust that with anything. So I uh, <laughs> definitely putting my life in the hands of Oliver Queen. I also went with uh, Green Arrow for this. I just think he's the better archer. Uh, Rodrigo. Uh, well, I also went uh, with Green Arrow, but that's because I find that in most of the media that I've seen, um, Green Arrow tends to have something else going on besides being an archer. He's super rich. He's um, and or. He's like a crazy, like hippie, like hyper liberal kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and although there's been a few modern takes on Hawkeye that have been very palatable, Hawkeye just has always seemed like really bland to me. So I would go with Hawkeye because it's like the only thing he's ever got going on is that he's a good archer. And if the guy whose only thing is that he's a good archer can't shoot an apple off my head, then what is it? What is even the point? Mm, there you go. Okay. The specialist rule. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, lots of comments over at the major spoilers uh, website. Uh, we've got Russ uh, T cat saying, I know that both archers can hit a target when they're at their, at their best, but both of these guys, personal lives are constantly in shambles. So who can hit a target when they're off their game? I vote Hawkeye. Uh, Chris said I had to vote for Green Arrow. Kate Bishop Hawkeye, she'd get my vote. She's the better of the two. Uh, Ollie Queen in any continuity when he's rich and with Black Canary. Cat uh, Halo says I voted for Green Arrow. Uh, Malone says I would trust either of them, but there's a slight possibility that Oliver can be a bit hungover from last night's parting with Clint. Interesting. Mm, interesting. Okay. Uh, and oh. Clint was most likely playing playing bridge with Captain America in the Avengers Mansion. So uh, I go bridge? Hawkeye. I don't know what do what do old people play? Hydra, cribbage, cribbage. They play Hydra. Uh, yes, there. Man, there's a lot of there's a lot of good positive uh, feedback for both Hydra. sides over on uh, the Major Spoilers website. But interestingly, right now, Matthew, according mm. to my poll, it's split uh, 50 50 Pretty much a dead tie. I've got seventy five votes in the bag. Fifty one percent Hawkeye, meaning. One vote, 49% uh, Green Arrow. It's, it's statistically a tie. Yeah, well, we have a 30 seconds margin ago, of error, tie. plus or minus 37%. Yeah. Pardon? I, I, 30 seconds ago, literally 30 seconds ago, it was 50-50 tied. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing, you know. Yeah. That's why I get yelled at every week, because I update while we're talking, and yep. it doesn't update as fast as I thought. But yep. also important, Hawkeye is the only superhero in the entirety of all universes to be a member of both the Avengers and the Justice League of America. So that's got to count for something. Yeah. Eh. You guys you guys remember what didn't Hawkeye have like super strength for like 20 minutes in the 70s? He was Goliath. He was Goliath? Oh yeah. 
he he was uh, the second Goliath, or maybe the third Goliath. I don't remember how they count them. In in but the yes. new uh, in the new uh, Marvel Dice Masters Civil War set, he's Ronan again. Oh, I hated Ronan. Yeah, so there you go. You got that to look forward to in your Dice Masters out now at your local gaming store. Nin- wait, 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 wait. Ronan, Ronan with an I or with an A? With an I. It's an I, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. It's actually, yeah. I believe it's pronounced Ronan. Because <laughs> the other guy, Ronan with an I, is like the Guardians of the Galaxy guy with a hammer. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> not this the guy. accuser, yeah. It's a different guy. Yeah, yeah. And this is a guy Conan. that was Daredevil, but turned out it wasn't. And then it turned out it was a deaf girl, and it turns out it wasn't. And then it was Hawkeye for a while, and I think it was uh-huh. Blade. Makes sense. Yeah. Throw that yeah. in your geek history lesson, Ashley. Uh, we already did Hawkeye last year. No. Oh, awesome. You can go check <laughs> that out. Geekhistorylesson.com, or you can find the that podcast would, uh, over at majorspoilers.com. Take as up well. enough time. Yeah, yeah you right. should do like a double feature uh, Ronin, uh, Eric the Red. And just, just have a stupid <laughs> list of names. <laughs> uh, listeners, you can uh, get uh, quite a deal here. I've been using my new tweaked audio headphones every day now when I go out for a walk or bike ride or whatever. Fantastic. Uh, so many different styles. You don't have to get the ones that I, I choose, uh, but uh, so many different styles and colors. You can head over to tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR, and get 33% off the price. Wow, that is quite the deal. Use the checkout code MAJOR. Tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for your support at the Major Spoilers Podcast. Uh, what was that, uh, what was that uh, sh- next wave? Remember when we did next wave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, well, this week we're taking a look at the paybacks, which is kind of like the cheaper version of next wave. Sort of a generic version. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, the, the basis is, if you want to be Batman, mm-hmm. and you want to do all the Batman things... Uh, you have to be, you have to work out 24 seven. Uh, you, uh, have to not have a fear of bats mm-hmm. and you have to have lots of money so you can make all these cool bat things. This is not something right. you can just run down to the, uh, uh, what's that, uh, store at the mall that sells all those, uh, the G- B Dalton. No, 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 not B Dalton. The, the, uh, the orange Julius. No, 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 no. The, <laughs> the one that sells all the, the, the odd gifts and naughty Spencer's things. Oh, Spencer's gifts. <laughs> You cannot run down to Spencer's Gifts and buy Don't a battery. Don't go into the back. Oh, Ladies no, and gentlemen, that is Steven's first reference to a store in the mall that may actually still be I think Spencer's is still around. Yeah, it's there. There's it one is, here. There definitely yeah. was uh, Spencer's in the mall in the 80s. So, Unless uh, you're thinking of KB Toys. <laughs> no, no, KB Toys. There was still one <laughs> until not too long ago at the Salina Mall. So there you go. So anyway, if you want to get all the cool things that Batman has, you may have to take out a loan. Thing is, if you don't start paying that loan back, you're going to get repoed. Not only is all your stuff going to get repoed, but you, the superhero or villain, is also going to be repossessed and forced into indentured uh, servitude uh, as part of the paybacks. And that's pretty much sums up what this uh, four-issue series about. Uh, at, in the meantime, there's someone killing off all these uh, members of the paybacks. Well, right. all all of the marks for the paybacks, basically yes. the mm-hmm. the people that they're gonna go get when they get there, they're already dead. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and that really is kind of the story. I mean, really, there are there's a character in here that's uh, definitely a Batman. There's a character mm-hmm. in here that's definitely Doctor Strange. There's an A team van in here, which is not an A team van. Uh, there's a Doctor Who kind of thing going on. It's uh, basically take all the favorite things that you like about all your favorite comic book properties. Heck, there is even a TARDIS literally hidden in this van. Oh, right. Uh, as well as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a Thundra sword. Oh, sure. It's all been and repossessed. 
and a Rob Liefeld character named Blood Pouch. Yes. And you just mash them all together, and that's what Paybacks is. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek look at repossessing superhero stuff and forcing them to go on repossessing other people's superhero stuff. I don't know how to take this. Part of me was like, yeah, this is kind of a cute, silly story, kind of in the same wave of, of next wave. But on the other hand, by the time we hit this end of this fourth issue, there's kind of a bigger reveal about what's going on. And I kind of wanted to read more. But on the other hand, I kind of didn't. Mm -hmm. I really feel like what it what it comes down to for me is that basic hook, that concept of, oh, superheroes. Yeah. In order to get the money they need to operate, they borrow it. And if they can't pay it back, that that's a good hook. I like it. I yeah, think it's it a is, great it hook. Is. Mm -hmm. But then you get to I, the I would execution. love to see more of that in real life, just like we see with the cleanup crew. Or the there are crew. like nine main characters you in mean this damage thing. control? Damage control. Exactly. <laughs> Stop saying said. damage control. <laughs> <laughs> Everything cannot be damage control. Why not? And you need to shield can't, and that's too bad. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> there are like nine main characters in this, and we see dozens of secondary characters nuked, and there are a lot of really clever and some not so clever references, and there are bits and pieces of really every genre of, of comic storytelling and superhero storytelling here. And, you know, there is the character who's clearly Batman. There is the character who's clearly something else. And there's a character in here who I think is deriv derived from the boys. And there's just so much. And that's, I, that's part so of that is much. what makes it interesting because can you spot the, these characters and see where they're inspired from? Even the ones that are just sitting around doing nothing because uh, mm -hmm. in one panel, uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Batman character from Mallrats is Blunt there. Man. Blunt Man is there. Uh, which, you know, you spot these things, you're like, ah, that's kind of cool. Ah, that's kind of neat. And you get some of the meta references that they're talking about or the direct references to Batman and, and to some of these other guys. And you're like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of clever. And I like, I like satire on that level, uh, in some points, especially when you point out the real problems with characters like Batman or Dr. Strange. Uh, and then you throw them into this really weird, almost what I would say real world kind of situation. And then it gets a little different from there. Uh, Rodrigo, you said you kind of also like the the hook on this story. I did. I think it's I think it's a really good idea, um, but it necessitates a very specific world, right? You can't. I, I think it would be difficult to incorporate this into the DC or Marvel universe. So I'm glad that basically this idea that superheroes need money to operate and they need to get that money from somewhere is kind of central to, to, to everything here rather than them just trying to fit it in as like an additional or a side thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, right. Ashley, you didn't have a, a chance to read this because of my screw up. No, um, I didn't have a chance to read it because I only read my major spoilers books a few short hours before we record. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still my screw up. Uh, <laughs> has anything we said had an impact on your interest in reading this book? Uh, well, I really like the hook. It seems like the kind of thing that Jimmy Palmiotti would do as an indie book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that appeals to me. Um, however, even before I joined this illustrious panel, uh, your opinions were ones that I took to heart. And the fact that you're saying it's kind of mediocre kind of scares me away. Yeah, which is which is interesting, too, because I, I really kind of dig on the art is mm -hmm. is really good in this. Yeah, and I'm it, a big fan of this. Yeah. And yeah, so there's that. Here. But then you've got a you've definitely got a Rob Liefeld character. That's a main character in this book that I just don't like. Yeah. 
I think that what it really comes down to for me is a question of focal points. There's a there's a lot that we're meant to be looking at, and there's a lot of jokes. And the fact that one of the main characters is named Ski Squatch, and his his vocal tick is trying to make Squatch part of all of his sentences. I love that. I love individual elements of this. I like the mm-hmm. vampire girl. Mm-hmm. I like the satirical take on this goofy Rob Liefeld character, who, by the way, has a patch for an eye. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Not an eye patch, mind <laughs> you. An eye pouch. Yeah. And what it really comes down to for me is there's just so much. And when I think about similar stories, the first thing that popped into my mind is uh, the Venture Brothers. Mm, a little bit, yeah. And the Venture Brothers has a solid central point on which to hang all of this ridiculous satire and loosey-goosey nutsiness. And I didn't find that in the paybacks. And I find that whenever it seemed like we were going to get it, they intentionally either underplayed it or completely inverted it. There's a point where (laughs) Night-Night... I love that. Right, right. Night-Night realized is that one of his teammates has a secret and it seems like for a moment night night is going to have a superhero moment mm-hmm. but and, and really then so we, for people you know, understand the, the next joke chapter of the story and it's night knight uh spelling yeah he's a yes he's yeah. a he's a knight of the night yes. he's the knight knight and he has a unicorn yes. as his steed Night, but, but he does, like he's the night he's the nightmare king. he's the nightmare yeah, yeah he yeah, doesn't yeah. ride the unicorn the yeah. unicorn is his partner yeah um, it's like he never just, rides it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and at one point, the unicorn walks away and says, I'll never forget you. <laughs> I have no idea where the hell that came from, but that's that's a beautiful moment. Yeah, so. you don't think the horse talks at all. And then as they're leaving, the, the unicorn turns and says that. It's it's funny. There yeah. are funny bits. But like you said, Matthew, there are bits like when Night Knight is going to have his big moment that it kind of gets written away. And mm-hmm. the art style for that is cool because she's like, well, let me tell you my backstory. Long ago in a place called Detroit. And then suddenly the art all changes to like a uh, four color zip a tone retelling of the story, which I found really kind of cool. But you're right. The story kind of steps all over itself. And it feels like and this is going to be the odd part. It feels like the the creators don't have a grasp. And this is really bad to say. It feels like things don't coalesce until about the fourth issue when suddenly things start to make a little bit more sense they feel like they've got a handle on the characters and what their bits are and what roles they're supposed to play. And then the book is over. And I think that part of that, you know, we've talked about this before with a couple of things from, you know, from Dark Horse. And I think we bumped into it from another publisher. When you are publishing an independent comic book, you have to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the tendency is to front load your story. Right. To get all the coolness in there as quickly as you can to try and hook as many people as you can with as many possible points to catch their attention. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it works against well, the and story here. And that's where the weirdness comes from because at the back of the book, we get a short story called Downhill Ski, mm-hmm. which was originally part of Dark Horse Presents number 11. And this is a just a little 10-page uh, story of how Seasquatch uh, became part of the team and ski this Squatch. and ski Squatch. I mean, sorry, this uh, downhill ski short probably appeared in dark horse presents before the series kicked off. Because in fact, mm-hmm. at the end of the bit, it says, see you in the paybacks uh, issue number one, whenever it's coming out next year, mm-hmm. the characters and the concept seems more fully developed in that short story than it did in the first two issues of this arc, which 
kind of contradict ends up contradicting itself unless they had the concept for the series. Dark mm-hmm. Horse said, hey, let's promote it in Dark Horse Presents. And by the time that they got to the Dark Horse Presents stuff, they were already more fully formed more solid. On, their, yeah, on their story and their concept and their characters. It's just it really weird. Been, it may have been something where, you know, we, we've all done it, where you have a story or a character or a concept that you clearly know what you're going to do with it. And you do that first bit and then you're like, where do you go from here? And you end up going somewhere that you never expected that wasn't really set up, but ends up being the natural place that story goes. I mean, downhill ski actually feels like a more grounded, more serious tale Mm -hmm. uh, in both art and story. And then when we get to the actual book, it feels like maybe they went, you know, what we really need are a couple of more Monty Python references. Not specifically, that's a that's a reference to Dungeons and Dragons groups always having those. Sure. You start with one thing and it evolves to something else, and then that something else becomes the the thing that is fun or yeah. interesting or compelling for you, and that thing becomes the new thing. And Red- sometimes it's hard to remember that the old thing was ever there. Rodrigo, what didn't work for you? Uh, what didn't work for me? I I, I felt that it um so the the comparison to next wave was was brought up and i feel that next wave is a lot more um aware well (laughs) no actually next wave is gloriously incoherent and (laughs) that's that's what it that's what it wants to be um i felt that this kind of wanted to do both like zany superhero antics and also um you know somebody's coming after the deadly viper assassination squad like mm-hmm. it, it kind of wants to do both things and sometimes they really work against each other you know uh ski squatch who uh spoiler alert uh potentially ends up biting it at the end he he doesn't get blowed up real good Right. Well, we oh. see an explosion. We don't see a body. This is comics, and this is specifically True a that. very comic referential comic. Yeah. Yep. So yep. who knows, right? But um, most of the like, we start to see some character development from him and from Blood Patch, and there are bros. Um, but I feel like there could have been more if we had dialed back some of the references and maybe all of these characters that are like introduced and 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 played with so much. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, this wasn't necessarily bad, but uh, I believe uh, you, Stephen, you had the, the comment that basically it starts to come into his own and then it's over. Like yeah. this all is spends, has a lot of characters, a lot of concepts, and also introduces a plot line that is moving you away from the main concept. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's like you're introduced to this idea that you know basically there are repo superheroes um but that's that's the backstory of it and it's actually they don't spend a lot of time being like here's how being a repo superhero works mm-hmm. it's like mostly you're trying to unravel this mystery that is on top of everything yeah so it, yeah. I, this comic is trying to do a lot of things at once no complaints about the art though no, i think no complaints really about the art the art is really good now in its defense when i say that the series doesn't seem to gel until after its fourth issue a mm-hmm. lot of new series don't gel until their fourth issue 
So I'm just I'm just kind of throwing that out there that that may not just be this particular issues uh, this particular series fault that happens a lot in a lot of books that I have read. Um, here's what's good. I love the concept. I love the hook. I love the van that has like an interdimensional portal or something on the inside of it to where it's basically a, a time uh, TARDIS, TARDIS. Mm-hmm. because the entire headquarters and everybody gets carted around in this van. I love that. <laughs> I think the Doctor Strange character is hysterical, in my opinion. Yeah. And um, the Russian guy, uh, Russian ninchucks guy. The Russian nunchuck. Uh, the guy that's always trying to quote 80s stuff and not quite getting them right, I think is hysterical. Um but like I said, it because it doesn't gel until the fourth issue for me, I kind of have to say, check it out if you want kind of a laugh or if you're trying to look for something different. But I don't know if I can fully recommend this as a as a must pick up book. Uh, the art is fantastic, though. Matthew, final thoughts from you? I hate the van um, because what the van really does is open up a bunch of questions that are really hard to answer. And it's not the only thing that in this story is there clearly to give you the expectation that this is a wider universe than you could ever imagine and that there's weird things around every corner. And I get that and I'm fine with that. But then we have this weird focus on the van and what's in the van and it's not a van. And then there's not. And I feel like that combined with some of the mean spiritedness of it is a little off-putting. Now, if you're giving me a fast kind of weird, exotic, everything is crazy, and yes, we're mean-spirited, but we're mean-spirited in a way like, you know, Next Wave that I appreciate, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. But if you're giving me that and at the same time trying to involve me in a relatively straightforward mystery that makes me want to care about these characters and who they are, and Reginald Van Thorpe, you know, Percival, Chelsea von Throttlebottom the third, who is also the secret night night, is not a character that I'm going to care about because the parts of him that aren't Batman derivative are kind of silly comic milk toast in joke. So you have to really kind of balance your comedy with your character. And I feel like we go from one side to the other and never really find that good balancing point between mean-spirited, oh-ha-ha, superheroes are being forced into slavery, and also this expectation that someone is, you know, there's a mask killer among us. I just feel like there's a lot here to like. There's a lot here to, you know, go, hey, that was really great. That was funny. That was wonderful. This character is neat. But as a whole, it's just kind of one-third that, one-third confusion, and one-third kind of straightforward plotty story. So, Mm -hmm. Rodrigo, final thoughts from you? Uh, Yeah, I think that it's basically trying to do too much. And, And and there's there are ways of structuring it you know we've seen successful things that are like this is funny this is funny this is funny oh crap it's actually serious right mm-hmm. and you can do that um or you can do is like this is ser- this is very serious with like a few references and in jokes um i mean i don't know how any given person feels about wanted but that's another thing that this reminded yes. me of yes yes is mm-hmm. you know that but wanted also knows exactly where it's going it's hyper violent and it's like it's like this weird, dark, hyper-violent love letter to comic books. It's um, also hateful. 
that is also very hateful. Um, but that gets executed well. Uh, you know, again, that aspect of it, the themes of it are well executed. Um, whereas this does try to kind of jump back and forth between, you know, straight up cape and tight superhero antics and making fun of that, mm -hmm. um, which kind of leaves you in the middle. Once again, the art is great. Yeah. So, Ashley, now that we've uh, shared our thoughts, are you, <laughs> are you uh, going to pick up this book? Or are you going to pass on this book? Um, I think maybe if I can get a copy from you or the library or something like that, mm -hmm. I would take the time. I'd check it out, but I will not buy it. All right. I'm sad to say. All right. Nope. Fair assessment. Fair assessment. And there you go, listeners. There is uh, the opinions of four very, uh, very nice people on this podcast. And wow. also me. And also Matthew. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Ashley. Where can people find more about you and more of your stuffs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V. Robinson. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes there's periscopes there. Uh, you can find me on Geek History Lesson. This week we are talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Find that on the Major Spoilers podcast. And we're nominated for a podcast award. Yes. So go Yay. to yes, yes, podcastawards.com. Vote early, vote often, uh, vote, vote with all your email addresses. It turns over every 24 hours. So get them in every day. Yep, definitely. Matthew, where can people find more of you? People can find me on the Twiddlecator at Mighty King Cobra, all one word, capital K, but nothing else capitalized. Uh, if you can find me on the Facebook, feel free to try and hit me up. I do have a Snapchat, but I can't remember what it is. Um, but I do not have any of the Instagram or the cool things like that. And if you join us on the Internet, you may know already who my new celebrity crush is. <laughs> is it me? No, it's it's a, it's a girl. No, you're the old celebrity crush. Oh, okay. Is it Ashley? Okay. First of all, that definition of celebrity and that definition of crush, so wrong. Mm. See what we say about not nice? <laughs> and Rodrigo, where can people find more about you? Uh, you can find me at Fearsome Critter on Twitter, uh, magicturtle.tumblr.com on Tumblr. And uh, you can go to amazon.com and buy my book, The Tale of Tallest Rabbit which is a book about rabbits, but also not rabbits. All right. You can also find me all over the place at Major Spoilers on Instagram at Steven Schleicher. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned books, Rodrigo, because next week we're going to be talking with a couple of authors about their books. We're going to have to find yeah. out about that next time on the Major Spoilers podcast. Take care, everyone. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man of Podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.